This episode of Women of War was created on the lands of the Gadigal people and the lands of the Wurundjeri Nation. We pay respects to all of their elders, past and present, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This episode contains references to disembowelment, murder, human sacrifice, rape, genocide and imprisonment. It also contains some rude language and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hi, I'm Hannah, a historian, a full historian, kind of, (laughs) (laughs) and I research women who protested nuclear bombs because they're really, really cool. The women, not the bombs. Bombs are Nuclear bombs, bad. Bad bombs. Women protesting nuclear bombs, fun. Good. Yes. Good, actually. And I'm glad they always had wholesome feminist motivations for doing so. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they didn't judge women at all. And I'm Nicola, a teacher who was in charge of children. And I'm also a historian, but I may not pay for the certification to be extended because I, I have a job now as a teacher, so it's... I don't need the historian thing. But it was hard to register, so I might as well keep it. Yeah. Oh, it's a hard decision. It's a hard All call. decisions are hard decisions. Yeah. And this is Women of War, Season 3, Episode 3. Part, part three. 3. In our accidental series of women who impacted history, but there's not much written down about them. But this will be the final part for now. Part 4, not coming next week, because we actually have a woman coming next week. Who there is stuff written about. And also it's next fortnight, so that's even better. Well, you know what I mean. I know what you mean, babes. So... But this week, <laughs> we're in northern Germany from about 68 AD to 69 AD. Nice. But we're not... <laughs> the sex number. But we're not <laughs> in northern Germany because that didn't exist yet. We're in what the Romans called Germania, focusing on a mystical woman who could see the future and wanted that future clear of the Romans. The later, seeress of the Brukturi, or Brukturi, I swap between the two, and she whispered into the ears of a man who attempted to lead one of many revolts against Roman forces present in Northern Europe, probably. This is my first foray into ancient history. I am not the biggest fan. There aren't enough sources. So I will not be coming by Germania again. Look, unless, it, unless it's like nine, 1,930-odd years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> or like 1,914. I don't know. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, that checks out. But I tried something new, and that's always good to do. It is. And that's why I ate an oyster for the first time the other day. I didn't mention that. You didn't. You no. didn't tell me. I feel You neglected. can buy like one oyster at Queen Vic Market to just eat. But should you? I did. It was quite nice, actually. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say from Woolworths, and that's when I was... Oh, no, that's awful. No, it was like the fishmongers at Queen I'll accept that. Yeah. So in a very old book on today's topic, the writer quoted a then-recent 1987 pithy note by Chester G. Starr. Historians, quote, have recently made the interesting discovery that a very large part of ancient humanity was female, end quote. And even after all these years and the events of the interceding decades... It seems most of the general focus for ancient women remains squarely on the fierce fighter, Boudicca, with a little bit of Zenobia thrown in for a little bit of flavouring, some seasoning. A garnish, if you will. (laughs) Parsley. Most of what we know in general is built on speculation. After all, if these people could write at all, little of those writings survived. And then there were those dastardly Romans who were wiping out or assassinating people willy-nilly. Assimilating. Slightly different to assassinating. <laughs> Look, they assassinated people. 
evil as well. Yeah, but they also assimilated. Them. I keep reading that as assassinating, yeah. even in my head. Oh, by the way, um, we're recording at my house. We usually record at Hannah's because um, I worked all day and Hannah was like, let's record at your house, I think. Was that the logic? No, I offered. Anyway, also, I have an elderly cat. She is currently on my lap and she may start screaming. <laughs> and we're not going to stop recording. We're just going to let her scream. I mean, it's a mood. Mm. So we're just going to let that She screams exist. for fun. Don't we all? Yeah. Anyway, so the Romans were wiping out or assassinating. <laughs> I just did it. I infected you. The Romans were wiping out or assimilating people. And occasionally assassinating. Here's what we do know. Germania was not Germany at this point, nor would it ever be Germany. Germania was a vast tract of land in Northern Europe, including parts of modern Germany, Switzerland, Denmark, and even Belgium, that was home to various different tribes, which often fought, but also shared some languages, some beliefs, and some customs. They were not a unified homogenous group, nor were they some Germanic master race that could be hearkened back to by some idiots in, I don't know, 1933, 2016... Now, um, the Romans also split Germania into Germania Superior and Germania Inferior, which is where Hitler's from. But we are, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to do that. Valeda was part of the Bructeri, a Germanic tribe in what may in what is now near the city of Köln or Cologne. We're not sure that Valeda is actually her name; it may just have been a title. But as one contemporary of Valeda wrote of an earlier seeress called Aurelia. Um, in the same paragraph referred to Valeda as Valida, or Valida as Valida, or Valida as Valida, <laughs> I am more inclined to think she was actually called or chose the name Valida. That makes sense. Yeah. Because otherwise it would be like Valida Orinia did this and then Valida Valida did this. Or like Valida the third, Valida yeah. the fourth, fourth of her name, breaker <laughs> of chains. So we know relatively little about Valida, which you can guess because we don't know what her name was for sure. Or it was like Anya Christian Gervinson. And that's why she chose Valeda, because it was easier to say. Fair. We know very little about her people, the Bructeri, or most of the Germanic tribes in what the Romans called Germania. But we do know that some of these Germanic tribes believed that some women could practice divination. And we also know how these German prophet women told the future. The German prophet women seemed to be part of several tribes around their region. And it was a consistent-ish belief in the region in the ability of people, especially women, to have a divine link to the future, and the ability to see it through various forms. The Bructeri tribe's seeresses were known to practice hydromancy, divining the future by looking at the movements of water. This makes sense, as the Bructeri were all camped out along the river we now know as the Rhine. But there were other ways the Germanic women saw the future. On more than one occasion, while practiced in their barbarian brutality, the Simbri tribes, women, had various captured soldiers paraded before them. When the men, who were the enemy, were brought before them, the women had the men's throats slit. As the men convulsed and bled before them, the women would read the future of the tribe in the patterns of the blood. Okay, so Nicholas blurred out this text, so I can't see what it says until right now. <laughs> A similar group was known to disembowel prisoners. And as these men writhed in agony and died, the barbarian prophetesses would divine knowledge of their future from the twists and turns of their entrails. Which just seems messy. They're outside. Yeah, but... Or you could do it in the river. It would be smelly. Like on the banks. You don't want to do it on the river. That's where you drink. Down river. You don't want to drink the bowels of disemboweled You'd go down river. Yeah. So, of course, not every German tribe was going around brutally murdering people for the sake of prophecy. And we do have evidence that even the Romans had some use for these women of prophecy. Before we turn our focus to Valeda, we're going to talk through the scant other references Tacitus made to other seers. Caesar encountered the Subic tribe, 
who put such stock in their sea women that it may have played a part in their tribe falling to Caesar's onslaught. It is also known that Consul Drusus, we all know Consul Drusus, of course. Who doesn't know Consul Drusus? I don't know Consul Drusus. Neither do I. Um, he is Emperor Augustus' stepson, Emperor Augustus being a close ally of Julius Caesar, and I believe his, his heir. Son, his heir, his son, his friend. His brother in arms. His, his brother wife. <laughs> um, he met with some Germanic, sorry, Consul, Consul Drusus met with some Germanic seers. The only consul I know is um, Caligula's horse. <laughs> And he is not a very good conversationalist. So, in 12 BC, Consul Drusus was a leader of some of the first Roman incursions into Germania. At first he saw great success, conquering and assimilating several tribes. But as he pushed east and came to the river Elbe, it is said that the CRS warned, warned him not to go on. Or perhaps Drusus saw the ghost of a German CRS who told him the same thing. It was too dangerous, she said, but in German. <laughs> but not in German. So, Consul... <laughs> Consul Drusus ignored her, or he ignored her ghosts, and he promptly fell off his horse, or his ghost horse, and he died from his injuries a month later. Or was he already dead? Or was he? No, he wasn't. Don't ignore <laughs> the German witches, Consul Drusus. This may have been a German seeress known as Albruna. However, it could also have been a way of the Romans excusing Drusus's failure to cross the Elbe. Mystical German interference. Ooh. But this one's legit. In 69 AD, nice, yeah. during the tale we are telling today, Emperor Vitellius was prophesied to have a long reign as long as he outlived his mother. And then, his mother died. <gasps> Did he murder her so he'd have a long reign? Miss Marple, who could have done such a Did thing? Did the German seer women do it? <gasps> or was it because his mother was in her 70s and she probably died of natural causes? Don't ignore the German witches, enemies of Emperor Vitellius. True to the prophecy, Vitellius went on to a long, successful reign where Rome prospered. So Emperor Vitellius was emperor for eight months. 69 AD was was known as the year of four emperors, um, which is very important to the tale that is taking place today. Anyway, despite these legends about their power, their clear control over the actions of some men in the tribe, and their seeming ownership of the prisoners of war... We know very little concrete facts about how much control the seer women had in their tribes. Mostly because the Germanic tribes couldn't, or didn't, write things down. So how do we know about what they did? Two ways. One, outside sources. And two, archaeology. So most of us picture archaeologists digging up bones or even fossils of ancient humans and our proto-human ancestors such as Homo erectus, Homo habilis and Pauline Hansaurus. We see mummies, both the ones deliberately created by the Egyptians, and bodies that dried out and were left undisturbed in the hot sand, and the sexy ones found in one of the horniest movies of the 90s, The Mummy. It's not horny, people are just hot in the film. Which makes everyone else horny. Yeah, but so it's not a horny film. It makes people horny. Stop saying horny, Nicola. (laughs) Hi, kids. But in the swampy regions of Northern Europe, there is a vast archive of bodies from the Iron Age and Roman periods, which runs from 400 AD 1,200 years back to 800 BC. Probably. Luckily, the main portion of this episode happens after Jesus got nailed, so the numbers go up. So, some Iron Age and Roman era communities in Ireland, Britain, Denmark, and key to us today, northern Germany, would sometimes bury their dead in a bog. And we don't really have bogs in Australia, but one does appear in the Hand of the Baskervilles, which is not in Australia. I would love to be a bog witch. You'd be a great bog witch. Thank you. I would be a water witch. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, bogs are basically, they're, like, they're not quite as like wet as swamps, um, and they are very densely packed areas of peat with vegetation over the top in cold regions. So, usually these 
Iron Age and Roman era communities in Ireland, Britain, Denmark, and Northern Germany, Germania, but not Germany, would um, <laughs> they're either in normal soil or they would cremate them maybe, um, and they would decompose as we all must one day. But every now and again, these ancient people would chuck a corpse or a living victim into Lovely. the bog. And we know they were living because often they were staked down. Wow. And tied it down. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. The that's, is... that's nice. Yeah. So these bodies, when rediscovered, we tend to call bog bodies because we're nothing but original. It's due to the absence of oxygen in the bogs, the relative cold, and a bog moss called sphagnum. I put that in my plants. I know. It's yeah. good because it has a really good ceiling. Does it have body parts in it? It could. Ooh. Ooh. Um, so due to the absence of oxygen, blah, 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 blah. These bodies are naturally preserved. Their soft tissues survive, as does their skin, their hair, their nails, their internal organs, and even what's in their stomachs. Their hair does get dyed bright red, though, by the moss. Um, so modern archaeologists... Maybe and, they're all just gingers. I, they did check that. <laughs> they were like, too many rangers. All right. So modern archaeologists, scientists, and even literal coroners can look into these bodies and gives us great insight into the lives of ancient peoples. This includes their health up until death, their diets, and even their grooming practices. And you can tell how much protein they ate because you look at their nails and how they were growing. You look at their teeth. What were they eating? Um, Not fluoride, sadly. Not fluoride. But it controls your brain, so that's okay. So it cannot be overstated how well these bodies are preserved. So in the 1950s, the police found... Oh, these guys were out cutting up peat to burn because that's what they used to burn Mm -hmm. for heat. And they found a head. And they were like, fuck. And they called the cops. Well, they didn't call. They had to go get them probably. And we're like, oh, Poirot was there. He was like, hello. That's cool. was the 30s. Get it right. Oh, whatever. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> by the time I finish watching it, it'll be the 1950s. And they, the police are like, oh, shit. Oh, my Lord. I think it was in England. There's a bloody head there. We found an head. What are we going to do? And this woman had gone missing recently. And they pulled in her husband. Like, we found a woman's head. He was like, that's it. I did kill my wife. She was a horrible bitch. And I'm a horrible <laughs> person. I murdered my wife. And I cut her into little bits. And it was now. And they were like, oh, fucking sick. And because he confessed and he like told them everything. They arrested him and took him to jail. And they did an autopsy on the head. And it was like a thousand and eight hundred <laughs> years old. It was a random head of a bog victim. It's amazing. And yeah, it's pretty wild. That's Get how well preserved these heads are. His wife. Also, fuck that guy. So even though we can learn a lot about the life of the individual and perhaps their immediate tribe from the body, we can glean very little about why they ended up there. Was it a sacrifice, a suicide, or are they all murder victims whose corpses have finally been discovered? Just, just so many murders on the bog. Can you hear people screaming, Hans? No. I mean, at what point is it murder in the ancient world? When you deliberately kill somebody? Actually, I read a good book on this. Ooh. About the, the historical, like... The discovery of murder. No, not the discovery of murder. The historical um, process of how murder has been defined and how <gasps> the definition has changed over time. It's I very good. I would love that. I highly recommend it. It's called Murder A Biography. Is it? Because I've got suicide, a history. I need murder, a biography. <laughs> highly recommend. It was very interesting. Oh my God. How yeah. did you not lead every conversation we ever had with me? I'm, I'm sorry I've failed you. <laughs> That's so far up my alley. <laughs> okay, so we don't actually know why they ended up in the bogs. Actually, I had an ancestor who walked into a bog. What? Are they? Did they die? They just disappeared. So they're dead. So, yeah, like, that's why in the Hand of the Baskervilles yeah. the end is so scary because the guy who like runs yeah. into the bog, he, he like sinks so, and dies. I think it was like... Also, these people could have also gotten lost in the bog. Yeah. I think it was just, like the 1800s. That would try it. And he just, the story is he just went mad, walked into the bog and was never seen Fuck again. Fuck you guys, I'm walking in the bog. Pretty much. So human sacrifice is a favourite theory of many. One head from Northern Germany... 
100 AD-ish, so about 30 years after the main focus of this episode, was rediscovered in 1948. I bet there are blog bodies buried in World War One and World War Two cemeteries. Ooh. I bet. Because a lot of them would have just been fucked. Yeah. Sorry, uh, would have been straight up destroyed by the yeah. war. That's where a lot of this historical yeah. evidence is gone. But I bet they found bodies and were like, you know what? He's wearing some weird clothes, but aren't we all? Or they found a head and like, yeah. that's a body. Yep. Hand. Into the grave. Yep. 100%. That makes sense. Call me Bruce, we can write a book about it. All right. All right. So, this head that was found in northern Germany in 1948, he had probably grey or blonde hair, and it had been arranged into an elegant knot at his right temple. From this, archaeologists figured the man was probably one of the Subian tribe, as Tacitus had described this hairstyle in his writings from around the same period. Tacitus may also have seen bog victims being interred, as he described the way some victims were pinned down by branches that archaeologists have since uncovered. It's bloody brutal. I love it. Like, That's brutal. Guess what the Romans were doing? They're like crucified. <laughs> like, look at these hideous northern Germans tying people to, to be stakes. Fair, the Romans were also brutal. I'm yeah. not saying they're better. True. Okay, fair, 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 fair. <laughs> yeah, it is just funny. Like, how barbaric. I'm sorry. What did you do to that Jesus guy? And like a thousand <laughs> other people. Like ten thousand. Anyway. Archaeologists have also found evidence of how people such as the Brookturi, who cares, the latest people may have lived. They have uncovered large long houses with internal sections for both humans and animals, as well as storage space, because even people in northern ancient Germany had more room than the average unit. <sighs> Our ancient ancestors were wide enough, however, wise enough, however, to avoid open plan housing. See, I like an open plan kitchen and living room. That's valid, but the whole open plan, not a fan. No, you no. need bedrooms. Yeah. So la- these were um, large multi-generational families who lived in one or two longhouses, and then there will be out- outbuildings and storage buildings nearby. So in some of these longhouses, archaeologists have found willow used as a building material, except for the animal section. And I did look up that if willow is eaten by an animal, is it poisonous? It's mm-hmm. not. So I was like, that's probably not it. So some theorize this is because the Iron Age is thought that willow brought sickness upon animals. Who knows? Maybe they really liked eating it out of the walls. Yeah, and then like, they just kept eating such... their entire pens. Whenever archaeologists like don't know something, they tend to be like mystical purposes, <laughs> and honestly, it's like I remember when I worked somewhere, and they were like, "We don't know why they chose to paint the walls white," and I was like, "It's because there's no electricity, and white is better in the dark when you have a candle." <laughs> The end by Nicola. Like, like maybe there was a mystical thing, but I'm much more inclined to be yeah. like, yeah. the reason we there still paint our houses this. white or eggshell. These people and the Germanic tribes of the Roman era did use the bogs, both the peat for burning and some even extracted iron ore to use. But we don't know why they put those bodies in the swamp. Put the bodies in the swamp. Put the bodies in the swamp. Everybody put the bodies in the swamp. Put the bodies in the swamp. So we actually don't know much about the culture of these people in definitive ways um, from the bog bodies or other forms of archaeology. So we return to the question of why do people do ancient history? But also, how do we know all about the cruelty of the seeresses of the ancient Germanic tribes? There was a dude that wrote it down, but he was a Roman dude. In fact, two dudes wrote it down, but they was Roman dudes. First off, Tacitus. Hannah first introduced us to Tacitus in our early episode on Zenobia, Queen of the Palm Olives, so I decided we should actually do a mini-bio of him, just really quickly, because he's going to come back. He's going to come back. You can't get rid of him. He's like syphilis. Yeah. (laughs) Danny's like, (laughs) Tacitus, lampooned by Terry Pratchett as Tacticus, is one of the best known and most respected Roman historians, except by me. He's best known for his histories of the conquest of Britain by the Romans and the history of the increasingly unsteady Roman Empire, 
from 14 AD to about 100 AD. His work, Germania, is where a lot of information about the Bructeria and Veleda comes from. Perhaps, ironically, though Tacitus remains famous, like Veleda, we actually don't know his first name. Some give it as Gaius, some give it as Publius, and I'm just going to call him Jeff. He was also apparently the first non-biblical source to describe the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus! So, like all historians, even today, it's a grand tradition, Tacitus had his own reasons for... I have to concentrate really hard when I say his name, because I've only ever read it in Terry Pratchett books. <laughs> Tacitus had his own reasons for writing stuff down in the manner he did. Some argue that Germania, his work written in AD 98, was to lambast Rome and its degeneracy, in comparison to the simplicity and almost purity of the northern Germanic mm. tribes. And all these white nationalists are leaning in like... Get out of our podcast, we don't like you. He dedicated two chapters of Germania discussing the role of women in the Germanic tribe, more feminist than half the military historians of today. Truly, truly. King! Ta- two, two whole chapters on women? Tacitus, feminist woke king of the Romans. <laughs> I'm trying to go too far. <laughs> yes, we stand. Which is from an Eminem song. So he described the women that they were fierce and they accompanied their men to battle as a way of encouragement. He described the Germanic tribes as relatively civilised and often they only had one wife each. Lovely. Look, more than one wife would be too many wives. The other Roman historical source where we get our information about the violence of the Germanic prophetesses is Posidinius, a Roman sightseer who was probably mistranslated. He described the brutal treatment of prisoners of war at the hands of the Germanic prophets with the disembowelments, sure. But on later examination of his words, translators basically realised he said, I talked to a dude who said he talked to a dude whose cousin saw the German seers disembowel and cut the throats of prisoners of war. So we're pretty sure the Germanic seer women weren't actually disemboweling or slitting the throats of every POW they saw. It's time-consuming for one, and as stated above, it's messy. Mm-hmm. So... Rather, this story might have been a way for the Romans to cast the Germans as bloodthirsty barbarians. So, between the biased sources of Tacitus and Posidonius, the source has bias, and the limits of modern archaeology, not to mention the bog bodies that we'll never find because people in the Netherlands ate them. What? (laughs) What? So I feel like you knew that for a while people were eating Egyptian mummies. Yeah, I knew they ate mummies. Yeah, so apparently it was... Don't condone it. Spe- I know, but like specifically you picture like, oh, Egyptian mummies, they're like dry. Somehow no. that's better. No. But it's different. No, see, okay. Oh, you look really sick. <laughs> Controvert? No, I I would prefer to eat a recently deceased body. Oh yeah, definitely. Than a centuries old body. I've never thought about this. Why? Uh, like, I don't care to. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, um, there's like jars, like yummy bogamummy paste. Um, I assume it was a fad. I don't think they were doing it a lot. But it's also... It's wh- the original fad diet. It's actually why the Dutch are so tall. <laughs> um, so some of the bodies were eaten by people who, who like just wanted to. This wasn't like during the starving years. Okay, so it wasn't like this is... You have no other choice. I mean, you just eat the peat then. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. I'd prefer to eat peat. Like literally, Peter. <laughs> the recently deceased body of Pete. Um, all the bodies were bombed into oblivion during the various European wars across the interceding two thousand years, all because they got mushed up by peat cutting machines. That happens too, and they find an arm. They're like, ah, fuck, Jeff. We got another one. Jeff Tacitus. Yeah. <laughs> 
So we know very little definitive stuff about the prophetess women, the Bruktura, even just the lives of any people in Germania during this period. The Bruktura are so forgotten that in the book, Forgotten Peoples of the Ancient World, they are not mentioned. Is that book just blank? No, there's like a, it's actually a good book I have in my room. Um, but regardless, the work of Valeda with the leader of the Batavi revolt, a Batavian who'd served with the Romans, Julius Civilis, has been remembered. We are going to call him Civilis because there is one really famous Julius in ancient Rome and he ain't it. We do know that in some or most of the Germanic tribes, women could be high-ranking individuals with or without the title of seer. Prophetesses weren't just a part of the Bructeri, but did appear in other tribes. It seems in order to be a prophetess like Valeda, you had to be of high social rank. Valeda and perhaps other prophetesses were sequestered away from the rank and file of the tribe and served by female relatives. They were highly respected people across the tribes. So we've met Valeda, the seeress of the Bructeri, and we're going to put her in a tall tower on the lip, which is a river that eventually leads to the Rhine. This region will eventually become Cologne or Colm. She rarely left her tower as far as we can tell. The Bructeri were a small tribe based around the Rhine, who were severely affected when they were attacked by two other tribes, for reasons that Nicola couldn't find written down. I don't Ger- know. Germans be Germaning. Germans be Germaning. You know, tribes be fandom tribes. warfare. Literally, it was probably just border skirmish. Who yeah. knows? Valeda seems to have rarely left her tower and conveyed messages to the world outside via at least one relative. So we're currently sitting at around 60 AD. We have nine years. The Batavi were another Germanic tribe who lived on an island between the Rhine and the Vaal, northerly and westerly of the Bructeri. The amount of maps I had to fucking look at. <laughs> Seemingly unlike the Bructeri, the Batavi were actually allied to the Romans. Also, you can probably guess this is who the Batavia, like the boat, the Dutch mm-hmm. stuff, that's who it's named yep. after. The Batavi were a fearsome yet small group who had probably never had more than 5,000 warriors at their peak. The Romans were interested in the Batavi for two reasons. One, their island was a key strategic point and the Romans actually established bases there with the Batavi's permission. Like the gates of Thermopylae in our previous episode on Artisimia's 1 and 2, <laughs> this place between the rivers Vaal and Rhine was actually so important it was fought over by the Nazis and the Allies during World War II. Strategic key points always remain strategic key they points. They really do. Geography doesn't change that much. Well, some bits do. I said that much. That much, yeah. Like, yeah. It's just interesting. It's yeah. happened twice. Uh, anyway, so the other reasons the Romans were interested in the Batavi is that they were the black... My cat just stretched. Um, the other reason the Romans were interested in the Batavi is that they were the black ops of the Germanic world. Not only were they great horsemen, but they were highly adept in fighting in aquatic conditions, on the backs of swimming horses, or even swimming alone in full armour. I have been on the back of a swimming horse. In full armour? Yes. Oh, damn, girl. Not in full armour, in bathers. Yeah. But it's a lot harder than it I looks. know. <laughs> so they were basically the SAS of their day, presumably also with the war crimes. Yeah. So what kind of armour and weapons did they have? So it seems even though the Germanic tribes were also, were also always having fights and had access to iron ore, they didn't really develop sophisticated armour and may have gone into battle in the nude or in their daily clothes, but this is Tacitus telling us this. So archaeologists have found Roman armour and Roman chainmail and helmets buried with German soldiers, so I assume the Batavi were actually wearing Roman armour, or maybe a mix. So as for weapons, they usually had a shield and a spear, and then some of them would have gotten their hands on swords, which would have been made either by the Germanic tribes or by the Romans. In 43 AD, during a fight between the Romans and the Britons, the Britons prevented the Romans putting up a bridge to cross a river. Because, you know, 
It's just, we covered this last week. It's not a speedy route out. Unless the river's really small, but then you might as then well you just, just jump over, over it. If the Romans couldn't cross the river, they couldn't fight the Britons. So twice the Batavi forged through the river in full armour and established two bridgeheads. It was only then that the Romans could get the upper hand on the Britons. The Batavi were also deployed against Boudicca's rebellion around the same period. It seems the Batavi, thanks to their hospitality and military prowess, were well on the way to becoming Romans. Emperor Augustus even used Batavi warriors as his bodyguards. Did you know Emperor Augustus knew Consul Drusus? <laughs> <laughs> so, so by 69 AD... Nice. There were, <laughs> I get this all day! The other day, 420, like, it came up as just a genuine organic number, and I was like, fuck! <laughs> this number, 420. There were, so by 69 AD... I'm behaving. There were eight cohorts of Batavians serving in the Roman army under the command of a Batavian aristocrat known as Gaius Julius Civilis, who played a major role in the Roman conquest of Britain. There was around 400 men to a cohort, though the numbers change depending on the period, and it takes 10 cohorts to make a legion. So we have eight fours are 32. Don't make me do maths. So we have 32 Batavians serving in the Roman army. That's not much. No, not much at all. (laughs) Only 32. There you go. They were very effective, though. (laughs) So as you may be able to tell from his name, Gaius Julius Civilis was actually a Roman citizen, but he was originally of the Batavi. But we don't know his original German name. So we're going to call him Hans or Civilis. Jeff. Jeff. Um, We're going to call him Civilis. He had probably served with the Roman army for his full 25-year service. So 69 AD is often called the year of four emperors. Funnily enough, because in that year, Rome had four emperors. Well, it's not like the Hundred Years' War, which goes for 116 years. Yeah. 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 It was a time of increasing instability across the Roman Empire. And there was also unrest in Jerusalem, leading to resources being sent to deal with the city, which was soon besieged. At the tail end of Emperor Nero's reign, before he killed himself in 68 AD, Nero had become increasingly erratic and paranoid. (gasps) He feared the power Civilis potentially held, as Civilis was apparently highly charismatic as... Charismatic? Charismatic, bro! (laughs) (laughs) Highly charismatic as well as a highly competent tactician. And so Nero accused both Civilis and Civilis' brother, Paulus, of treason. They also had two other brothers called... Is this going to be a Beatles joke? (laughs) They had three brothers. (laughs) In addition to Paulus, there was Jonas, Georges, and Richard. Civilis was out committing violence on Rome's behalf in Germania at the time, so his brother was executed. Nero basically then killed himself, and Rome collapsed into civil war. One of the successful four emperors, Galba, got rid of the Batavian bodyguard, and so this elite group, along with Civilis, returned to Batavia feeling personally insulted by their treatment at the hands of the Romans. And the dead brother probably didn't help. And they were like, gosh guys, it's been a hard day's night, (laughs) working like dogs for the Romans. So, the treatment of the Bat- oh no. The treatment of the Batavi under the Romans only got worse as the Roman Civil War escalated. Recruitment officers swept through the Batavi, collecting as many men and boys as they could for both the army and for other reasons. Do I want to know the other reasons? Catholic priest reasons. I don't want to know the other reasons. So this further infuriated Civilis. He had once been a highly respected Roman citizen, and now his brother was dead and his tribe was disrespected. 
Let's all picture Tom Hardy's Mad Max. Got it? Now, remember how Sibyllus worked with the Roman army for 25 years? I do remember this, yes. Well, this also meant he knew all the Roman weak spots in the Batavi lands and most of Germania. The Batavi's first assault on the Romans was so brutal, the Romans burnt their forts and fled to the other end of Batavi's island, where the Roman navy could protect them. There, the Romans were besieged. Water on three sides and the Batavi, in Roman armour with Roman weapons, probably on the other. Following this, Civilis gathered some of the lo- other local tribes and they managed to hash out some sort of alliance to perhaps overthrow the Romans in Germania. So they didn't write this shit down. So we don't know how they made the deal. Tension between the tribes didn't vanish, though. The Romans might have called the region Germania, but the tribes didn't see themselves as one big happy group. They had a common goal, yes, but that was it. Each group was in for itself. We don't know when Civilis and Valeta met, but we do know what Valeta said about him. When the tribes were united, Valeta foresaw the future, and what she saw was good. She saw that under Civilis, these united tribes would successfully push the Romans from their lands. Valeta saw her prophecy became, becoming well known amongst the local people, and with Valeta's blessing behind them, it seemed the Germanic tribes were unstoppable. Civilis continued with his master tactics. He reached out to Rome and told them that the siege of the Romans on Batavi was not the fault of his people, rather it was a different tribe, and if the Romans would just do him a solid and send out some legions, he'd deal with it himself. The Roman in charge of the region, Commander Aquilus, said no, which Civilis probably expected. He was playing for time. While besieged, some Germania-born Roman troops, so men like him basically, had begun to swap sides to the tribal alliance, especially those from the Tungrian tribe. World also spread that Valeda herself had foreseen victory for the tribes, and she was one of the great prophet women after all. Word spread among the troops, and then Civilis put his plans into action. The siege broke, and there was a fight between the Germanic alliance and the Romans. Halfway through the battle, the Tungrian troops abandoned the Romans and swapped to Civilis' side. A few Batavian boaters had remained with the Roman navy, and during the same battle they moved the Roman boats out of the reach of the island, leaving the Romans stranded on Batavi. Bye! Aquilus was killed, and Civilis saw another victory. So, it was easy for Civilis. He was like, hmm, maybe one day I'll put up the Greek colours when I'm actually Persian. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? Anyway, so it was easy. Hello, friend. Um, it was easy for Civilis to unite the Germanic tribes while he was having easy victories, and Valeda was predicting successes. Another Roman, Lupercus. Lupercus? Lupercus. Ma- I'm, so an- I'm sorry, ancient Rome. They're okay. Nah, fuck them. Marched down towards them with cavalry at the ready, but his attack failed when his cavalry, who were Batavi, <laughs> defected in the middle of the battle. <laughs> Lupicus was captured and Civilis ordered Lupicus and his flagship be sent to Valeda as a gift. There is no way on how she responded. I assume she was like, dude, I never leave this tower. What am I going to do with a boat? <laughs> you, you sent me this Roman on this, the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> I will put him in the boat and send the boat away. Yes. I'll set the boat on fire and send the boat away. I'm a water witch, but I like to use fire on the boat because I don't know. I'm now a Viking and I'm giving him a Viking burial. Vikings haven't been invented yet, but we're going to be Vikings. (laughs) The aforementioned war of the four emperors raged on in Rome, which drew more and more resources back into the centre of the empire, out of its outposts in places such as Britain, Germania and Syria. She just likes hanging out. I love her. I've, you've got a better view than I do. No. <laughs> this made Civilis's rebellion more straightforward, at least for a time, and he saw many more victories against the Romans, applying both what he had learned during his service and apparently fully believing the gods and fate were on his side. 
He besieged the Roman settlement at Castra Vetera, and the Romans hemorrhaged troops both in the siege and in trying to win it back. Eventually, the Romans were forced to surrender there, and Civilis moved down the Rhine to Colm, and the home of the Bructeri. There, Civilis decided to mediate with more tribes, trying to get them all to join in on the rebellion. At one point, tensions grew between the tribes of the Tenteri and probably the Bructeri. Civilis was called in to mediate, but it wasn't enough, and the Bructeri demanded that their prophetess, Veleda, came to also mediate between the tribes. We don't know if she actually came down to talk it out or communicated through her relatives, but it seems the latter is more likely. I do like to think of the great prophet of the Bructeri walking amongst her people, but maybe she was watching something really good on Stan and couldn't come down. Oh, she was in ISO or something. I'm like, oh, she just was an introvert. Just, she's like, I already went out to look at the boat. <laughs> I had to talk to the dude I was given as a gift. Do you know how awkward it is when you're given a man on a boat? Anyway, so it seemed victory was set for the Germanic tribes. Not only was Rome in disarray, the tribes were uniting under a very, very capable leader and a woman who had correctly foreseen the future. And the future was victory. But it couldn't last. Eventually, the Romans realised that even if there was a civil war on, they couldn't afford to lose Germania. The new emperor, Vespasian, the minute he got the crown on, sent Quintus Petilius Cerulius. Seralius? Seralius? And eight legions out to Germania to put down Civilis' rebellion. When he heard the Romans were coming in force, at least one of Civilis' major generals surrendered. He was not the model of a modern major general. (laughs) And this meant the rebellion lost two of their own legions, hundreds of men experienced in fighting Romans and how Roman tactics worked. Undaunted, Civilis swapped tactics to a rudimentary form of guerrilla warfare, and resistance, leading raids on Roman settlements and army camps. Now, this wasn't what Valeda had predicted. And then, something else she didn't predict. In 70 AD, Jerusalem fell, and the Romans had a ton of extra troops that Civilis knew would be sent down to Germania to deal with his rebellion. If we flash forward 1,900 or so years, this is basically Russia leaves World War I, and everyone on the Allied side is like, oh, tits, what are we going to do? Civilis did the brave thing, mm-hmm. and he surrendered, perhaps due to the leader's influence, um, because he knew the bloodbath probably wouldn't be worth it. The Batavi she was like, dude, dude, I see this is not going to end like, well. I foresee. And he's like, oh, you had a vision? She's like, no, no I just have she's common like, sense. And he's like, no, I won't do it. She's like, I had a vision. He's like, oh, Valida, you're so wise, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but in German. The Batavi renewed their deals and alliances with the Romans and probably apologised for burning all those forts. And the Batavi eventually became completely assimilated into the Roman Empire. And we just don't know actually that much about them because they went, we're Roman now. So what happened to the villas? We don't know. All right. What happened to Valida? I bet you didn't see that coming. Um, so because Civilis was still well respected by the Romans and he came to the table for peace talks, um, unlike Boudicca, um, most of the Germanic rebels were probably treated fairly well and also they could probably just like blend back in with the rest mm. of the tribes. Um, the Romans didn't even touch Valeda as far as we know until 77 AD, which tells me they didn't see her as a threatening leader in her own right, but she still could have been. Um, she was probably captured by the Romans. From there, we're not sure. There are two lines of thought. There is one poem by a girl called Statius, which speak of a, quote, captive Valeda, end quote, in a passage about Quintus Gallicus, a senator from under Emperor Vespasian. So this is probably from those intervening seven years, from 70 AD to 77 AD. So it might mean she was kept or stayed in the tower by the river. On the other hand, 
1926, archaeologists found a marble plinth in a town around 30 kilometers from Rome, perhaps from the time of Emperor Vespasian. Some of it is ruined, but the legible bits ask, quote, what is to be done with the tall virgin who the Rhine drinkers worshipped, end quote. <laughs> Bit rude. What a way to be remembered. Uh, the tall virgin worshipped by river drinkers. <laughs> That's what they often called the, the tribes. They yes. drink by I the Rhine. I think we covered that earlier. Yeah. How did they know she was a virgin? Hmm? I think because uh, I believe the Greeks <laughs> expected their oracles to remain virginal. The, Ger- the Germans probably didn't. Or maybe it? no one could get up into a tower. <laughs> it's like it's like a really high ladder. It's before you get there, you're really puffed out. You're like, ah, oh, I'll go back on the boat with the other guy. <laughs> so the Rhine drinkers is probably another way to refer to the Germans in general. Or perhaps it's actually the Bructeri specifically. The rest of the writing has mostly been worn away, but the following fragments can be translated in two ways. So, quote, let her wipe bronze lost noun, essentially. So bronze something. If the missing noun is something like lamp, it could be Valida continued as a CRS, telling the future from lamp smoke, which was another form of prophecy. However, if it's not lamp, it could be implying that she wipes the floors, and that is, you know, she was a cleaning woman perhaps in a temple. Then again, she could have been a cleaning lady who also did prophesying on the side because it's a gig economy. So we don't know. We don't know. Valida was never completely forgotten, but was often remembered alongside the most famous female anti-Roman agitator, Boudicca, um, who was based out of Britain. A 1795 novel by the German female author Benedict Nalbert, but Benedict sounds like a man's name when I say it in English, positioned Valida as a sorceress who promised Boudicca's daughters eternal life, which if you know your history was an office they, they did not take up. Maybe they did and I am Boudicca's daughter. Are you? No. All right. Um, side note, Benedict Nalbert, the author, is now considered a pioneer of the historical fiction mm. novel. Parts of the novel were republished in the 1810s, which renewed interest in both Boudicca and Valeda. An astronomer in the 1870s also named an asteroid 126 Valeda, after Valeda. So it seems she's kind of always hung around the fringes of popular imagination, perhaps thanks to the republishing of Nalbert's book. Speaking of books, Valeda occasionally appears, or is referenced, in Lindsay Davis's mystery novels, which are set during the ancient Roman era. For a lack of having read them, I'm going to assume Valeda was a sort of noir-styled femme fatale who seduces the main character, Marcus Didius Felker. Uh, he's actually Poirot in a toga. <laughs> <laughs> I am not Germanic, I am Belle Germanic. <laughs> That's Poirot, right? Um, I am not German, I'm Germanic. <laughs> I have not read those books either, but I agree. Um, there have also been various operas about Valeda, but unlike Artemisia, she has not appeared in a Zack Snyder film, but it may only be a matter of time. I feel like that's a good thing for Valeda. Look, probably. Like, feminist <laughs> icon, Zack Snyder, they don't go together. They really don't. So, do you have anything else on Valeda? Yes! No, it's not on Valeda, oh. it's on the man. But do you I have anything this else? Was, this was just interesting. <laughs> well, actually, I do theorise that this idea of the Germanic women accompanying their men to the tribes, like, maybe that's where the Valkyrie comes from. That makes sense. Because there are other theories that civilists who only had one eye might, and there were several key Germanic leaders who only had one eye, mm-hmm. they're one of the Ur examples that turn into Odin. Ooh. So it's this idea of like, oh, every tri- a few tribes have this legendary strong leader who has one eye and he's very wise. And that story goes around and around yeah. and over a few decades and a few hundred years it becomes yeah. Odin. That would check and out so then like, Valkyries too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's it. No two-parters? No 10,000 words, just good, clean, fun, killing <laughs> Romans. Uh, Veni, Vidi, Vici, Uncommon, Zan, Uroban. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I oh, yeah. Love you killing ancient you Romans. You don't have to say that every time. 
I want to give you praise and validation. Oh, thanks, babe. <laughs> you deal with teenagers all day. You, you need praise and validation. <laughs> I love my teenagers. Leave them alone. Um, yeah. I, I don't have anything else particularly to say. So thanks for listening. Uh, we've been Women of War. Not yeah. a good plan. Hey, Hannah, do we have a website? <laughs> we do have a website. Womenofwarpod.com. We have social media, which is at Women of War Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you see us walking around your city, you probably didn't because we rarely leave the house. We're kind of like Philander that way. We like to stay in our towers. <laughs> I'm in my tower. Someone's brought me a man Send me on a Send me a man boat. on a ship. <laughs> I don't want it. Send it away. Uber eats man on a ship. Oh, my God. Romans did have drive through restaurants, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that Stonehenge used to be a drive through pizza parlor? Yeah. Um, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next time. Next time. Bye. Gonna get through Tuesday, and then it's Wednesday, and I'm on TV again. It's fine. I'm fine. Watch it if you want to find out. It's on the Playboy channel. Not really. These people and the Germanic tribes of the Roman era did use the bogs, both the peat for burning and some even extracted iron ore to use. But we don't know why they put those bodies in the swamp. Put the bodies in the swamp. Put the bodies in the swamp. Put Everybody the put the bodies in the swamp. bodies in the swamp. Just gonna stand there and watch me preserve. <laughs> That's all right because I like the way it's bog. I don't know. So we actually don't know. I like the way Pete burns. <gasps> Just gonna stand there and hear me cry. But That's all right because a sacrifice I'll die. A sacrifice I'll die. I can't tell you what it really is. He was also apparently the first non-biblical source to describe the crucifixion. Crucifixion? <laughs> crucifixion. Is- you... No, yeah. I wrote it right. You did write it right. I apologise. Dang. I don't know why I put the comparison. because I don't think Did God- he have I- a large porn collection? We're not meant to tell people that. <laughs> then cut it out. <laughs> nah.